0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. No special announcements or anything, so let's jump right in. First up, a team of Mega Man fans have just released the first game in their NES to Genesis conversion series that they're calling the Sequel Wars. And while this is a spiritual successor to the Wily Wars, this is not a ROM hack and it is not using the Wily Wars engine, which in my opinion is kind of a good thing because the Wily Wars was a lot of fun, but there was some stuff about it that didn't make it feel exactly like the original. And I think that's why the team has approached this project that way. They are coding the entire thing from scratch in C using the SGDK library. Now, they're going to try to convert uh, Mega Man 4, 5, and 6, and they've just completed Mega Man 4. They're calling it Episode Red, And I played through it for a little bit, and it is excellent. It felt like a Mega Man game, but with 16-bit graphics. And everything's moved over. The music is now being played on the Genesis chips. It's not emulation or anything like that. And the graphics packs look absolutely great. So essentially, (coughs) essentially, it's basically like if Capcom had made these games on the Sega Genesis. Or at least it seems like that's what the team who's working on it is going for. So this is something that I think is a very impressive project and a huge undertaking, too. Um, The only thing I'll say is, you know, it is just as hard as Mecha-Man 4 was on the NES. However, the team has added... (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, man, I still can't get rid of this cough. But the team has added a bunch of features, like an easy mode, as well as double jump and slide in air, and there's a whole bunch of things that could really change the entire experience. So you can play it the way it was on the NES, or you could add all this other stuff to it. And choices are always, in my opinion, a very, very good thing. So if you're looking to check this thing out, uh, you could just download it right from their Itch.io page. Of course, please consider contributing to the team uh, if you love it. But the fact that it's just available to try for free is really awesome. And I think a very cool thing. So thanks to the team for doing that. But this is very impressive. There's a lot of very interesting ports going on these days, and uh, I think this is absolutely worth your time. Stika just released a video that highlights 29 modern games made on the original NES, and there's many reviews of each of them with gameplay footage and typical Stika-esque descriptions of all of them, and I really enjoyed this video. It showed me a bunch of games that I really think I need to make time to at least give them a try, and respectfully it also showed me a whole bunch of games that i think are look awesome and i'm really glad i get to see them in action but kind of aren't my thing either but that's kind of the greatest thing about some of these videos and you know about people uh, this awesome thing about people like Metal Jesus who do the hidden gem stuff like that. It's not always about running out and playing every game that they talk about. Sometimes it's just about kind of experiencing the games through somebody else's eyes and kind of seeing what it's like. I know Pushing Up Roses, her earlier videos about some of the PC games, now, I would rather go and watch her video on King's Quest than play the original King's Quest. So it's it's kind of awesome to have a bunch of people out there that are able to highlight this stuff for us. And obviously, I'm a fan of Stika's. Otherwise, I wouldn't have asked him to write this post. <laughs> so give it a try if you're into modern NES games. So brand new games that are made specifically for the NES, even if they're also available on other platforms. And there's a whole bunch in here. And I guarantee if you have the ability to play NES ROMs, you're going to want to try at least one. Steve from RetroTech recently posted an awesome video about a 5 inch Sony PVM CRT monitor. And I honestly didn't even know the 5 inch models existed until I saw Andy King post pictures up on Twitter. I had always only thought the 8 inches were the smallest professional monitors that you could get, but apparently Sony made a 5 inch model as well, and it does do RGB, it's 15 kilohertz, so 240p and 480i only, but Steve goes through and kind of shows the whole monitor and gives a full tour of it, if you will, and I think this is a video that's kind of fun for everybody, because even if you don't plan on working on CRTs, at least you kind of get, you know, a, a sense of what these things were like. And because they were so small and so many things were jam-packed into a little area, heat was an issue with these. So Steve also kind of goes through the maintenance that you should do if you end up finding one of these, which components will probably go, uh, which ones already had service bulletins put out. So, like, if you had bought (coughs) a bunch of these for your studio, you might have gotten something like a car recall, but for this, that says, hey, if you have one of these, swap out these three parts, have your technician do it or something. So Steve kind of goes through that and then shows it in action shows it running but i don't know i just i really enjoy seeing stuff like this because even though i already have a whole bunch of eight inch monitors that i love there's always one over my head here and there's a couple next to me that i use for testing uh you know i if I ever stumbled across one of these, I would totally pick it up just for the heck of it. And it does kind of make you think, why did they make a smaller one? Because if you needed portable monitors on set, the eight inches were probably fine for your crew to carry around. So what scenarios would have required an even smaller and lighter monitor? So I could only imagine, you know, people in the 80s and 90s who are on some kind of you know, on-site quest of hiking through the jungle or up a mountain who needed camera equipment would be lugging one of these up just because in situations like that, a couple of pounds would probably make a huge difference. But it's kind of fun to think where these would have been implemented. But if I ever stumble across one, I'm definitely going to pick it up just for the hell of it. Next up, Roger, aka the 8-Bit Esquire, just posted a video about the Sega Genesis game Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. And I really thought it was interesting because I had never knew the backstory behind any of it. I was very, very little when the album Bad came out. And I definitely remember having the LP of Thriller when I was a kid, just like every kid who was born in the 80s, probably. But when Bad came out, you know, I was so little that I didn't even get like, well, why are they calling it bad if it's supposed to be a good album? And in hindsight, Michael Jackson acting like a badass is kind of ridiculous. But I, I never knew that there was a movie, quote unquote, movie released with it with Joe Pesci in it. I never knew the game was based off of that. For me, I just I, I remember seeing the game at some point in the arcade and just assumed. I mean, it just made sense. Right. The biggest pop star in the world at the time. Make a video game around him. Put chip tunes versions of his songs in it and kids are going to play it. And they did. And uh, this this video kind of goes much deeper than that, shows the different versions. And um, I had a small little cameo appearance at the end that just kind of describes the different soundtracks to it. But I'll be honest, when Roger contacted me, I was so busy. I was doing so many different things. And he asked if I wouldn't mind just recording a quick little part. And he said, here's the script. Here's your part, uh, you know, and just talk about whatever you want. And I'll be honest, I scrolled down to the part that said Bob, and it was talk about the audio section, and I just recorded it in one take, <laughs> sent it off, <laughs> I processed my audio at least, and then I was like, tell me if I need to redo it, I, I don't even have time to read the script. So it was it was absolutely hilarious to me watching this very good video, and then I got to the part with me in it, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm in this video because i get sucked into the video i just i don't know that was funny Uh, funny to me at least maybe you're all going stop talking you're annoying the hell out of us but i thought at least some of you would have gotten a chuckle out of that but i enjoyed the video i enjoyed roger's other videos as well um very happy to see that he upgraded his camera in this one because the other one was filled with beautiful b shots and when he was on camera it looked like uh he he bought his webcam on a website that was hosted on GeoCities, so good to see, uh, good to see his other cameras up, up to speed. But yeah, great videos, check them out, subscribe to the channel, and I'm sure I'll end up being in another one at some point, point. and maybe I'll actually read the script this time. Retro Gamer Store has recently opened pre-orders on a smoke-clear version of their NES shell. And this is basically going to be the same as the Super Nintendo and Genesis shells as well, which I've shown on stream a whole bunch of times. Uh, I'll leave links uh, or I have links in the post here for anybody that wants to see them. But essentially, the clear ones are just crystal clear. And I have the NES shell here. It is gorgeous. I absolutely love the way it looks. And this is... Kind of one of those times where I really like keeping the the NES cartridge that you have to push down because it just looks so neat when you see it in the clear shell. But tons of people prefer the smoke clear for Super Nintendo and Genesis. So, Retro Game Restore figured, let's see if I can get enough pre-orders to make a run of them for the NES. And there are tons of cracked and damaged NES shells out there. So, if you'd like one of these, check out the link in the description. And I also placed links to all of the other Retro Game Restore shells, should you be interested in those. Uh, but there's just two things that I always like to remind people of. First and foremost, if you have a really good condition shell and you still want one of these clear ones, maybe consider putting your original on eBay. Clean it up real nice, uh, wrap it very well so it doesn't get damaged in shipping, and allow somebody who just wants an original but want to replace their cracked and beat up one with this. Also, if you have any mods that you want to drill holes in and mount stuff, maybe consider using one of these. And if your mod work is good, you'd probably want to show that off anyways. Now you have a clear shell, you could feel free to drill all the holes in you want, and you're not destroying a piece of history. You know, just basically consider what you get with these. And of course, because this is the internet, I have to always remind people that you get what you pay for. These are not cheap, but they're not rip-offs. It costs a lot of money to make molds and have minimum orders of high-quality plastic pieces. Yes, you can get junk ones for much cheaper. You could 3D print them, which is still awesome, just a completely different end result. And, you know, they're larger pieces of plastic. It's not like a handheld shell that would cost a fraction of the price. Still really expensive, by the way, though. So I just... I'd over, I never have a problem with people saying things like, oh, 120 plus shipping is a lot of money. That's about what I spent on the console. No, I don't think I'd want to spend the money on that. My shell's already in decent condition. That is a fair statement that I would never disagree with. That's up to you. But when people are like, oh, that's a rip off. They're just scamming us for money. just the retro scenes just through the roof. That really pisses me off because there are not big profit margins on these. I spent a large part of my life uh, in computer manufacturing and we did mold our own plastic pieces. So I know exactly what it costs and what the efforts are to not only make it happen, but make it happen in a way where you get the quality that you could get a clear shell out of because, uh, molded plastic shells have a, you know, you could have a little bit of forgiveness in there, but not when they're clear, you see every little impurity in it. So yeah, they're worth every penny, but it's totally up to you if you want to spend the money and it's totally cool if you don't, but you know, Maybe just kind of keep your eyes out and see. If you want to mod your console, look for somebody uh, or mod and cut your console and you don't want to spend the money on this, ask around. Maybe there's a bunch of people with kind of, you know, maybe not mint, but not perfect NES shells that you'd feel less bad hacking up and they could get one of these. But either way, as you could tell, I'm a huge fan and I just think everybody kind of wins because even if you don't spend the money, maybe you'll be able to pick up one really cheap on eBay that somebody sold after putting one of these on. The developer Infidelity just ported the NES version of Zelda to the Super Nintendo, and holy crap do we have to talk about this, and I want to start first by saying please consider supporting Infidelity on Patreon if you want to see more of these, but why is what we absolutely have to talk about, and I've discussed this before, but I want to to get this right this time, so that anytime people ask why would anybody do this, I could just point them to this video and this post. So, The SNES is essentially a more powerful NES with different sound chips. I'm oversimplifying, Chris from Displaced Gamers was probably rolling his eyes listening to this. There's a lot more to it than that, but it's a good basic overview of how to visualize this. But the parts are in different places, not only physically in the code and everything else too. So what infidelity did was a while back first ported Mega Man four, which took forever and then Mega Man two. And now this, which it's still a ridiculous amount of work, but with all of his previous experience was able to do it in record time. And you gain a lot by doing it this way. First and foremost, you get much less, if not zero slowdown, and this is accomplished not only by using the faster Super Nintendo CPU and, and graphics chips, but also by using tricks like Fast ROM and uh, other, you know, the faster ROM chips. So it's things that absolutely could have been done back in the SNES era. And they're they're done using real coding. There's no tricks with any of this. There's no like FPGA coprocessor being used. You could theoretically put it on an SNES cartridge. But the no slowdown thing is massive in Zelda. It was a pretty big deal when I was playing Mega Man 2, but in Zelda, it was ridiculously noticeable when there was a lot of enemies on screen, including all of the dungeons where the Dark Nuts were running around, the little blue and orange, or you know whatever your palette you're running, those little uh, enemies with the swords and stuff. Some of the hardest enemies in the game, actually, no slowdown at all. When there was a ton of those little rabbit-looking things that you're supposed to shoot with the arrows, none of that. The ghosts in the Um, in the graveyard, I didn't get any slowdown and there was, I didn't notice any sprite flicker at all as well, which is another issue. The amount of sprites on the same line at the same time is much more limited on the NES than the SNES. So right off the bat, you end up with a game that is exactly like the original. So there is no debate over which is a, you know, oh, well, I like these changes. I like those changes. There were some minor things done, but overall it's the same game but without any of the shortcomings. So it's almost what Nintendo would have wanted for Zelda at the time if the hardware was powerful enough. Which that that's absolutely massive. And I think that's something that we could all kind of understand or at least try to understand because there are so many things like remakes or HD patches and, and all of them kind of change the game a little bit. Whereas this is the same game. So this is such a big deal with this. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that that would be kind of advantages to it. One of them that might not be important to some people, but to others is video outputs. Your original NES was composite video and RF only, but you could throw this game on any ROM cart, including just the cheaper ever drives or something like that plug it into your SNES, and now you get S video and RGB as well. And you know, if you're using a consumer grade CRT, that probably doesn't matter to you. And that's fine. Consumer CRTs and composite are an awesome match. But what if you have a really nice scaler like the Pink 5X? Or what if you're lucky enough to have like a Sony BVM or something? Or a really nice consumer TV with component inputs? Or even S video? Getting that extra sharpness essentially for free because you're just playing the SNES version of it is awesome because otherwise you would have to get the RGB blaster if you're using a Famicom or the internal NES RGB mod if you're using a front loader. So that might be a huge deal for other people as well. But I also always look to the future. So what else could the community do around this? And while Project Nested is amazing, that's a way to emulate NES games on the Super Nintendo, you can't really do too many ROM hacks to those because it's essentially still running in emulation in real time. Whereas this is now an SNES ROM. So if somebody wanted to go and take all of the BS Zelda graphics and port it to this one, you still have the original gameplay, the original music, and you just have a graphics update if that's what you want. You could also do MSU1 audio soundtracks, which means you could have Zelda orchestral, you could do the and uh, the Zelda Famicom soundtrack via MSU1 without having to worry about too much coding. It's kind of a big deal. So having these ports for especially some of the more popular games, isn't just about, Oh, I get to play this game on my SNES. That means I don't need an NES, whatever else. It's not just about that. It's what you could do with it today, but what doors it opens in the future. And I really think it's important that we support infidelity in this work. It's important that we support infidelity that I never thought I'd say those words out loud. The developer who's called infidelity. (laughs) Sorry. And uh, because I want to see more of these. And you know, while I I never want to come across as unappreciative, I'm so appreciative of this work. It's my job to both highlight the amazing developers and their work, but also look to see what else could be done. And after seeing how great this came out, I want to I'm very curious to see what could be done with Metroid, which is a game that I argue with people all the time about, friendly arguing, and that. I just I don't think it aged well. I think it's an amazing game, but there's so many little things about it that kind of kind of annoy me. That don't really hold up. I don't have the hours and hours to to kind of explore. I don't have uh, NES power maps. So what if one of the next games that Infidelity works on is Metroid, and then the Metroid construction and the Zeldix crew all get together and rebuild that to have an on-screen map? So. You know, original graphics, but now when you hit start, you could have a map and shows you which rooms you were already in and, you know, which you weren't. You could add save points to it. You know, there's the the Metroid construction uh, people, the whole uh, group of people that have worked on that have done all of these things on the NES version, but they're still limited to the power of the NES. So having that on the Super Nintendo, it's kind of exactly what I started this conversation with. The best of the original. So close to the original, but kind of getting over some of those humps and limitations of the NES hardware. So the future is really up to you. If you think that these are important as I do, you'd consider supporting Infidelity on Patreon. Still funny to say that out loud. Uh, And if not, that's fine too. Just if you hear people go... Well, why would anybody bother? Please point them to this post or this video. I'll, I'll embed this in the post too, just so I could link them all together because it is important work and it's awesome and it's very impressive. And if it's not for you, that's totally fine. But please recognize how cool this is and the doors that it opens for what could come next. So, you know, maybe consider signing up and recommending Whatever game is your favorite NES game, I'd love to see Metroid, Ducktales, which doesn't really have much slowdown, but I still think it would be pretty cool. Um, and I don't, I just there's there's so much that could possibly be done with this. So I don't know. Uh, check out the games for yourself. I did live streams so far. Um, I did. Two sessions, there's three parts because I accidentally unplugged my router during part one and uh, when I came back up, I had to start a new stream. But I will be finishing this in a couple of days, probably not before this goes live, but I will be doing a final live stream to complete the game and I might use the final version of the ROM that's going to be available to the public soon. Maybe by the time you hear this, if not, very, very soon. But if you're a supporter on Patreon, you can get it right now. If not, it'll be public I mean, you might even it might even be public by the time you're hearing this, so don't worry; it's not going to be hidden behind a paywall. It's just there now, while the final little things are being worked through, and um, and all of the the in all of the playthroughs that I did. Sorry, I lost my words there for a moment. I only found one very minor bug in level eight, and Infidelity is already fixing it. So I, I just. It's almost—it's 99.99% ready, and when it hits, try it out on your favorite emulator, your favorite FPGA console, on original hardware. Just, if you like original Zelda, give it a try, because I think you'll be impressed. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions recently posted a video highlighting Project Stellar for the original Xbox, and this is an absolutely awesome demo of what to expect when installing, as well as how it works today. Uh, There's still some more features coming, but even as is, it's very impressive, and I think this is totally a game changer for the original Xbox. I think this is something that if you're a fan of the console and you want to unlock so many different possibilities, including some networking stuff, some net play, um, optical drive emulation, there's so many different things you could do with this, including future support for RetroNAS, which I think is a massively huge deal. Uh, it's really cool, and it's it kind of this video really drives the point home as to why you would want this and the HDMI mod, because for a while I kind of thought, well, you know, if you only want the HDMI mod, that's fine too, especially if you have a library of discs that you're already playing. But after seeing this video, I think it really clarifies why you would want both, and you could order them both together. Uh, Tito put a link right in the post as well as in the video. So If you're a fan of the original Xbox or if you're just curious as to what this thing could do, absolutely give Tito's video a watch and then see if this is something that you would be interested in because it's very impressive and there's a lot more updates to come. I recently posted an interview with Grant Henry, AKA Stemmage, who is the person who created Metroid Metal, which is an amazing project that takes the Metroid soundtracks and makes them into instrumental heavy metal songs. And this was a very fun interview for me but this was one of the ones where as soon as it was done I just had this massive feeling of guilt come over me like oh man I was so excited that I got to interview Stemage that I wonder if I even did a good job as an interview or if I just sat there and and geeked out over somebody whose work I've been following for over 15 years, I think, now, about that, so I don't maybe I fanboyed out a little bit too much, but either way, I, if you're into video game music, music production, Metroid, or just listening to really awesome people in the scene, I, I would suggest giving this one a try, and just picture it like, slide up your chair, crack a drink, water, beer, coffee, whatever, just kind of, you know, slide over and, and hang out with us as we have this conversation. And, you know, hopefully you'd enjoy it. But it's, you know, sometimes when I do these interviews, I kind of, I, I definitely feel guilty afterwards, because I'm like, could I have done a better job in the interview? Or was I just so selfish that I got to, you know, enjoy talking to somebody who I've wanted to talk to for a while? And I don't know, I, I turn to all of you for the answer because obviously the comment section is pretty brutal. So usually people let me know if I got it wrong, but you know, just a polite reminder that I always listen to your criticism. Even if I don't agree with it, I do listen to it. However, politely worded criticism will always be taken more seriously than ones that are just brutally insulting. I still listen to those, but usually I just assume that's coming from somebody who had a bad day or or just jealous they didn't get to interview Stevage. which the feedback's been good so far. But anyway, anywhere that you listen to podcasts or videos you could find this just search for retro rgb stemmage youtube all of the podcast services i'm on everything i don't play favorites i just want to make these easier for you to listen to and uh, grant was just a very cool person even introduced me to eric viking guitar afterwards so hopefully i could have some more music coming out at some point in my life as well but uh, this was a blast and i really hope you all enjoy it as well now it's time for this week's mr updates care of lou from lou's retro source As usual, I'm gonna skim through these, and if you hear anything that piques your interest, please go back and watch Lou's video where he'll have footage and a ton more details. First up, Anton Gale showed some updates to the Taito system SJ core, and a release looks like it'll be coming soon, and this is the core that will run elevator action, jungle hunt, and a bunch more. User Lukage on the Mr. FPGA forums discovered some compatibility issues with CPU identification in the 486 core, so we modified the code to output an Intel CPU identification and provide an RBF for people to test. So if you're a dev that's really digging into the 486 stuff, this is probably going to be a help, and maybe for casual users too, but we like to support both super nerds and regular nerds here. Uh, next user to on the mr discord has tested the dos q87 fpu emulator and it's had some good results the ao46 doesn't have an fpu so with this emulator you could run software that requires it and even get some speed gains on programs that don't require it but still make use of it Next, Hotega has released a beta core for Super Contra. And at the moment, you can't flip the screen, but it will be sorted out as the core progresses. I'm really looking forward to try it. I have both my machines here that are mostly working order. uh, So that one's on my list without a doubt. Next, core developer Javier has started scanning the PCB for the arcade game Braywood. This will help in the drawing process of the schematics, which will also help with developing the core. So as always, thank you very much for, for all of the work that people contribute whether it's scanning boards, reverse engineering, all of it's such a help. Next, Pierco has officially released the Kick and Run Core, which is an arcade soccer game. Uh, all you gotta do is just update your mister in order to get it, and it looks like fun. I'm looking forward to trying that one. While fixing an issue for uh, Super Contra, Hodego found a new mythology methodology to apply to the Neo Geo Pocket Core. So this is one of those awesome things in development where you find something today working on one thing that helps you fix another. So hopefully that means the Neo Geo Pocket will be coming on the sooner side. Pierco also mentioned that he's working on creating a custom ROM for Kiki Kai and a 6801 60, assembler, and that's because there's no dump of the MCU, and that game is a 1986 shoot-em-up game where you play as a shrine maiden who uses magic scrolls and a wand to fight ghosts and monsters in feudal Japan. It, uh, it spawned the Pocky and Rocky series on the SNES, so that sounds like a game that we would probably want to see. Uh, Next up, Robert has been able to get the N64 system test to run on the FPGA N64 core. And right now, the ALU passes all tests. So this is still nowhere near running a full game, but holy crap, what a massive step forward. The thought of N64 running on Mister is pretty incredible. Next, the Juno first core is now outputting some sound, but it's only effects. So Jimmy Stones is continuing to work on that one. Uh, Track Seventeen announced that Demon's World is now playable on the Toa Plan One Core by Darren O. Oh. You could read about the development work over on the Patreon post. It's a public Patreon post, so if you want to read about that, uh, definitely check it out. Also, just a, a side note here to any developer who has a Patreon: stuff that doesn't uh, doesn't have Patreon locked items in it, I would strongly suggest making public. That way, it. You know, you could kind of, it works to promote yourself and promote your work and show other people what you're actually doing. My Patreon stuff is all early release or just like the Q and a, so I don't make that public because all of my stuff is public. The Patreon stuff is really just for interaction and early access. But if, uh, if you're somebody like the 240 P test suite, all of their posts are public and you know, uh, Nicole, all of her posts are also on her blog. So there, there's always good. I think it really helps as long as you don't have anything that's locked to your Patreon subscribers, and that maybe consider doing what these other devs are doing. But sorry, side rant over. Um, there's also a bunch of other Mister cores that got some updates: Commodore 64, the main uh, subs, uh, the main system, Oric, and ZX Spectrum. So as usual, thanks so much to Lou for doing this. There's no possible way I'd have been able to keep up with all this, and it's really nice to have all of our Mister info in one place. So make sure to subscribe to Lou. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, because it is you who's keeping all of these podcasts, the website, and the videos alive. So if you want to know how to support, just check the link in the description. You could do so basically for free, all the way up to monthly support. It's up to you. All of it is appreciated, including just spreading the word. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.